I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Trampoline Hall podcast. I'm your host, Misha Globerman. As you probably know by now, Trampoline Hall is a lecture series that takes place in a bar. Uh, that bar is usually in Toronto, but sometimes we're in other cities. Uh, the bar doesn't move. It's Trampoline Hall that moves. Uh, at the show, people give lectures on all kinds of subjects. Uh, and the one restriction is that they cannot lecture on subjects on which they are professionally expert. It cannot be their job to know the thing. Uh, after each lecture, we take questions from the audience. Uh, I'll tell you right now, this show may contain explicit language. Uh, that's either a plus or minus uh, for you, depending on how you feel about swearing. Uh, for, the, for the live trampoline hall show in the bar, uh, it occurs just, we've been doing it every month, pretty much forever. Um, we For the podcast, we've been doing it for just about a year, and it's just been, a, the schedule's just been all over the place. As I think I told you last time, we're in the process of changing things over um, from, uh, a, from our sort of irregular schedule, then for a while we were monthly. What we're going to do now, uh, soon, is we're going to stop doing the monthly podcasts, which we've been doing for a little while, and we're going to start doing uh, short seasons where we'll be doing a six-week run with one episode every week, then we'll take a bunch of time off, then we'll do another six-week run. Uh, we're doing it because uh, we think you will like it better. Um, that's going to happen soon, uh, but not super soon. What's going to happen super soon is we're going to hear this episode's lecture. Uh, the topic of the lecture is complaining, and the lecturer is Shalom Krishtalka. <laughs> to me a while ago that the complaint is among my primary modes of communication. <laughs> I feel that there's a special enjoyment to be had in the complaint. And although I'm fairly certain that I'm far from alone in this, this trait has not gone unnoticed by others. When in fact it is commented on, my response is usually that if done well and properly, the complaint ranks among the few free and pleasurable things in life. <laughs> And it is this principle that has led me here to expound upon the fine art of complaining. Before we proceed to the practicalities of the matter, the rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts, it is worthwhile to consider the theoretics of the complaint. I won't bother with dictionary definitions. We've all had enough experience giving and receiving complaint to know what it is. And besides which, definitions are to meanings what pornography is to sex. Instructive, useful, perhaps, but hardly a substitute for the real thing. 
A complaint is a feminizing enterprise. Or at the very least, it is a profoundly unmasculine enterprise. Masculinity is a state of con Ah, hold on now. Wait till I'm finished. Masculinity is a state of control, of containment, of firm boundaries, and among its cornerstones are stoicism, calm, and fortitude. Its expression, masculine speech, is controlled, contained speech. The complaint contravenes every single one of those principles. It is a declaration of dissatisfaction, but that's only the surface phenomenon. What lies behind the dissatisfaction is an avowal of lack, of inability. It is an announcement, not only that one cannot bear up to one's circumstances with fortitude, but that one is unwilling to bear up to one's circumstances with fortitude. <laughs> it is a recognition of the personal impossibility of stoicism. It disrupts calm. It is, in essence, an alarm call, albeit of a lesser degree of urg urgency. One can think of crying as a complaint taken to its most urgent, eliciting the most sympathy. It is a proclamation that one has lost control, that one's discomfort cannot be contained, that one's boundaries have been ruptured. It engenders verbosity, itself associated with hysteria, and the two qualities share an uneasy place within the historical pathologizing of women and queers. So, <laughs> to complain is to deny the masculine, to wander into the realm of the feminized, the sissy. <laughs> the best example I can think of regarding this relationship, this irreconcilability between complaint and masculinity is the following. My partner's father, on one of his frequent trips from, his, from Montreal to his native Australia, suffered a mild heart attack. He did not tell anyone. Why? Because, according to his hosts, he, who only found out years after the fact, I'm not exaggerating, he did not want to be an inconvenience. Even in the face of impending heart failure, in the face of an arrest of his body's most important organ, he could not admit his body's failure because trouble, inconvenience, loss of control, however involuntary, is powerlessness, which is anathema to masculinity. As a gay Jew, I feel that complaint... I feel that complaint is an integral part of my identity. After all, these are two demographics famous for their verbosity. These are also two demographics famous for their production of sissies. I don't think I have to explain why this is true of gay people. And there are a number of theorists who have traced the tradition of the Jewish sissy. I won't get into it here, but I refer the curious to the work of Daniel Boyarin and Woody Allen. These are also two demographics who have constructed much of their cultural identity out of persecution, and if there's any kind of upside to persecution, it's that it endows you with the privilege of complaining. <laughs> so I find myself at a cultural intersection of verbose sissitude. <laughs> Which I believe makes me something of an ideal complainer. <laughs> now, when I say that complaint is among my primary modes of communication, I don't mean that my life consists of one long bout of crying wolf. On the contrary, I recognize that just as life's circumstances are varied and multitudinous, so too is the complaint. And this is one of the key elements of a good complaint, the ability to gauge circumstances. The good complaint. Before getting instructional about all this, we should address an essential question. Etiquette aside, and objectively speaking, should one complain?
Objectively speaking, no, one shouldn't. <laughs> Globally speaking, no, one shouldn't. Mathematically speaking, no, one shouldn't. Let me explain. The most obvious factors mitigating against the complaint, aside from the vagaries of etiquette, which I'm perfectly happy to dismiss, are the two following maxims. One, people are responsible for their own actions. And two, there's always someone in the world worse off than you. <laughs> Expressed as a formula, your right to complain would go something like this. The product of the severity of your complaint on a scale of one to 10 times the degree to which you are responsible for your situation on a scale of one to 10 times the number of the people in the world right now who are worse off than you <laughs> is inversely proportional to your right to complain. Under this formula, almost everyone enjoying life in the first world has no right to complain. There are, of course, problems. First off, to be perpetually aware of the suffering of the world's less fortunate is not only impossible, it is emotionally debilitating. It is a terrible burden. And to understate the matter most certainly cause for complaint. Generally speaking, our lives are lived and organized on a personal mundane scale, and likewise are causes for complaint. This doesn't mean that we have no awareness of the world around us, it just means that we have a sense of scale and of context, two essential ingredients for the good complaint. Before I move on to an example, I should address the other part of the formula, personal responsibility. To point out personal responsibility in the face of a good complaint is, depending on the circumstances, either a non sequitur or utterly cruel. A complaint is a statement of dissatisfaction, not regret. To tell a complainer that they created their own problem doesn't do anything to alleviate the complaint. It just tells the complainer that A, you're completely insensitive to their pain, and B, you're superior to them because you know their problems better than they do. It is precisely this principle which makes a good complaint irrefutable. Now, an example of a good complaint. Recently, I threw my back out vacuuming. <laughs> I, I went to an art opening that evening, and as I seated myself, I took the opportunity to let out an agonized groan. When asked how I was, the following conversation occurred. Me. Oh, fine, I guess. I threw my back out. Them. Oh, how? <coughs> me, vacuuming. <laughs> it's kind of pathetic, I know. I'm trying to think of a better way for me to have injured, my, it, to, for, for me to have injured myself, something involving orphans in a fire. <laughs> Not to toot my own horn or anything, but that is a masterful complaint. First off, note the similarity and structure to a joke. The build-up, the fact of physical harm, the expression of concern, followed by the extended punchline, structured around the pathetic absurdity of my having injured myself by such banal means. In this instance, I am completely self-aware. I know that beyond myself, this doesn't and shouldn't register on the scale of human suffering. So I make light of both my pain and its cause. Now, this isn't stoicism. At no time did I mention that my injury was minor, that I would be okay. <laughs> my verbose vicissitude forbids it. Even my declaration of being fine is qualified by, I guess. <laughs> oh no, I'm suffering. But I know enough to realize that my sissy suffering is funny. 
Thus, I remove the uncomfortable sting of self-indulgence from the complaint. And don't mistake the humor for fortitude. The humor is not in the face of physical pain. It's in the face of the circumstances leading up to the injury, in the delicious irony that a sissy has suffered injury through the very means by which he expresses his fussy sissiness. <laughs> a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> the emblem of faggy tidiness. <laughs> now, what sends this complaint over the top, what vaults it into the realm of art, is the fact, is the fact that this is a complaint within a complaint. A Russian doll of a complaint. <laughs> the immediate complaint is that I threw my back out vacuuming, but the larger complaint is that my body is completely out of my control, vacuuming being enough to cause me injury. The even larger complaint, the cosmic complaint, is that my life is so banal, it's injurious. <laughs> The bad complaint. Every family, to take a page out of Tolstoy, operates in similar ways. Every family has its eccentrics, and every family has its undesirables. It occurred to me while formulating this lecture that the members of my family who are generally disliked are, not disli are disliked not because they're essentially bad people, but that they're essentially bad complainers. Now, we know what makes a good complaint. Self-awareness, sense of context, degree, scale, humor. So we can easily see what makes a bad complaint. The bad complainers in my family lack these basic sensitivities that would make their complaints and their personalities more palatable. An example then of what I consider to be the worst complaint I have ever heard in my life thus far. My cousin, uh, the relation is more complex than that, something like our cousin twice removed, was suffering from cancer. He was very well beloved by our family, by his nurses, by the fellow patients in the oncology ward, and by members of the community at large and his wife was another matter. You'll see why in a minute. At any rate, he was in his late 60s and going through a horrible bout of chemotherapy, the second attempt at ridding his body of the cancer. He had already gone through radiation therapy to no avail. My mother, from whom I heard this story, was visiting him in the hospital and his wife was there as well. At one point during his visit, his wife gets up, looks at herself in the mirror and says to her husband, apropos of her bedside vigil, my God, I look worse than you do. <laughs> oh. He died two weeks later. <laughs> I am baffled by this. The sheer forehead clutching awfulness of this complaint alarms me. This woman, in relative perfect health, has the gall to stand not two feet away from her chemotherapy-battered husband in the middle of a hospital, in an oncology ward, and complain about her appearance. It's one thing to maintain a certain healthy ignorance of global suffering, but to complain about something as trivial as your appearance when you are surrounded on every floor, in every room, by clear and present evidence of the painfully less fortunate bespeaks a self-indulgence and self-pity that is so powerful, it might well be sublime. <laughs> a conclusion of sorts. At this point, you may well be asking yourselves, to what end this talk of complaining? Why and whence this vaguely amusing, slightly smarmy, theoretical and practical unpacking of the complaint? Well, 
the answer I have for you may not end up being satisfying, but it's the only answer I have. I am currently in my early late 20s. <laughs> I have been single-mindedly pursuing my life's passion, which in and of itself is a rather amorphous career goal, for a third of my life. I am embarking on the final year of a terminal academic degree, and if you want to get poetic about it, I am looking forth onto the unfolding road of my life, almost free from the protections and encumbrances of education. And to be perfectly honest, a large proportion of the non-frivolous complaining I do is against the obstacles and petty travails that lie in the way of my success. Now, I'm not endowed with any kind of surplus of self-confidence or self-assurance, but I have enough of both to realize that at some point in the relative near future, I might be in a position to enjoy success in my field, that the goal towards, I have, which, towards which I have been striving will have been reached, that I have overcome the obstacles which have formed the basis of my complaint and the impetus of my striving. So, my answer to you is this, delivered in true Jewish form as a question. Can you get what you want and still not be very happy? <laughs> Shalom Kishtalka, You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I'm Misha Goldman. Up next, the Q&A. Hello. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Are, 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 are there any questions? Are there any questions? Or, uh, oh yes, uh, yes, you, sir. Is a complaint a complaint is always purposeful? The question. the question is the question is whether a complaint is ever purposeful, which you could have guessed from the from the answer. I, I mean, if anything, I, I would. What? What? No, no even I can't hear you. you really, I'm sorry. When you ask a question, you really do have to shout. So, 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 so you're trying to draw, draw a distinction between uh, uh, the complaint that simply expresses one's displeasure versus one that tries to bring about a result. Is, do you think that that distinction is an important one? Um, no, not really, because the same, the same theoretics apply to both. I think the complaint is inherently a demasculinizing thing. And I mean, I could, I could go into sort of vast theoretics of the complaint and... Um, 
and uh, American foreign policy, for instance. Um, and and I, I have. I have. Um, but the fact remains that as soon as you complain, no matter what the purpose is, no matter how noble the purpose is, no matter how noble you are, you're essentially, uh, you're essentially um, delivering yourself into powerlessness. Okay, so, so it doesn't matter. It's a distinction which doesn't matter for our present discussion. I'm going go, to go over there. Yes, to you, sir. depends, or the, the degree of, I don't know, I guess the motivation depends on your success. I mean, I have my friend's mother, for instance, talking of this business of hotels and airplanes. She has this uncanny ability to complain in this fashion, in such a way where the person on the other end of the line, whatever poor, hapless clerk that might be, um, eventually comes to the realization that the, the changes that need to be made were his idea in the first place. So, which is an insanely hard thing to do. And I've tried it myself and failed terribly. So I think, um, and as far as this motivation goes, the, the goodness or badness of this complaint depends on whether you get what you want or not. If you get what you want, you've done it fantastically. If, if you're stuck with a hotel room in the basement with no windows, then maybe your complaint hasn't the, the your complaint hasn't uh, hasn't gone over but, quite as well. So, so I guess the the proof is in the pudding. I guess. But but, but, but is that good? I mean, I often get exactly what I want, and it simply encourages. Then you're an more, excellent more complainer. complainer. And yet and yet you don't come off yeah. as, as feminine in any way. <laughs> no, I think, no, it's more than that. There's a whole bunch of things that I sort of want to go with at once. I think I keep thinking about the, the feminizing issue and the question of what it is that you're trying to bring about. And there's a thing that I keep thinking, and, and I'm probably wrong, I hope that you which, but which is that, like, at some level, it really does feel to me that the complaint that's meant to get something doesn't feel quite as feminizing as the complaint that is simply like, look at my pain. So, like, for instance, I think that, like, you were talking about expressions of being persecuted. Like, when Malcolm X expressed that he thought America was unjust, I don't think it was, like, made him seem like a pussy, you know? Well, like, no, but, but notice, that, notice that he was a black man struggling for civil rights in America. So you think that gives you, like, just, that just, like, gets no, you out of everything? No, but he was, he was complaining from a position of powerlessness. But, but, but I'm a white middle-class man complaining about my hotel room. And right, and, and I see. But I, I'm empowered by <laughs> I said, okay, so right, so if I plug it into the formula, that's right, so if I plug it into the formula, Malcolm X, sure he's complaining loud and that puts him, that gives him points against him, but oh, he's actually in a situation of profound, genuine injustice, which right. makes it less of a... Which gives him a, a greater right to complain. Huh. I mean, I'm not a, I, 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 what I hope to communicate in my lecture is that one's right to complain has nothing to do with whether one should actually complain or not. 
it's a question of, of how you complain, right? Um, yeah. And you're talking about, like, you're not talking about functional, you're talking about art complaining. Well, every... <laughs> I mean, ideally, everything should aspire to art. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> but... Um, I mean, every complaint, the, the, I don't think a distinction can be, t can be made between purposeful complaint and non-purposeful complaint. Every complaint has a purpose. Every complaint is meant to elicit something, whether it's something concrete or something, for example, um, not like sympathy. So what did you want? To, so was that, was that, well, like, okay, and I'm going to get to, but when, when you complained about your back, like, what were you trying to, okay, and I was, I didn't even know, what were you trying to get? Attention, sympathy, yeah. Okay. And, it, you know, it's just a question of, like, the success of it depends on how transparent that is. Right. I mean, if everyone around you is going, God, this fucker just wants sympathy, why don't you shut the hell up? Then obviously you haven't complained well. <laughs> but if you get a bunch of people in a room to go, oh, how did you hurt yourself? Then obviously you're doing a good job. And I have to say, I was there, and I, I just felt really bad for you. Well, like, so I, there you go. Yeah, I was, it's work, it worked. I'm going to go to uh, you. Yes, you. So to clarify, because I'm still very fuzzy, to clarify, a good complaint is, is, is one that gets the result and without any sort of anyone thinking less of you and gets a laugh. <laughs> so he's trying to clarify the criteria of good complaining and it's what results. No, I mean, it, comedy is not the essential ingredient. But you can, you can complain about something noble. It helps. And be a bad complainer. Yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> well, I, okay, let's go into American foreign policy. <laughs> when Bush went in front of the UN and declared that the UN had a moral right to, um, to devote its energies to helping with the war in Iraq, after he had told you know, the rest of the world that the UN is this sort of beleaguered institution that we should leave behind, that was a terrible complaint. That was a terrible complaint. Because you know he's because he's 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 flip flopping he's he's backtracking he's he's being hypocritical and you know helping out in a war whatever you think of the war in Iraq but helping to depose a dictator is ostensibly a noble cause. So you're saying it lacked context. Um, no, I, the complaint right? didn't. The complaint didn't lack context. The complainer lacked. The complainer lacked context. The complainer lacked <laughs> the essential ingredient of a good complaint, which is the awareness of context. He somehow seemed to forget that he had just shat on the UN for a good like two weeks in the press. So does that does that does that does that answer your question? I get, yeah. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll take your I'll take your tepid assent and, and move on. Uh, 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 am I gonna go? I'm gonna go to you. Yes, you. Do you have any advice for someone who airs his or her complaint uh, just to you know? Vent that and receives all kinds of useless advice as a result. The, the question is how to, how, to, how to deal with the useless advice that one might incur as, as a result of complaining. Um, disregard the useless advice and enjoy the free sympathy. <laughs> there you go. Oh, look, someone's waving madly all the way in the back of the room, which I always find pitiable and charming. Yes, um, please shout very loudly your question from the back of the room, sir or ma'am. I'll try really hard. Thank you. Oh no no no! Valid or invalid, but that makes you that 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 puts you on on like my level of complaining. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, what I'm wondering is, what about using complaints? See, it's almost sort of um, I 
unintended where you actually end up bonding with people. So for example, with my friend Angela here, she said to me, oh my God, it was so hot today. And I said, yeah, oh my God, you know, I just kept taking more clothes off all day. And that, that was, you know, I didn't want to get all heady about it, though, but it's hotter in Sudan. <laughs> Well, exactly, yes. Exactly. Okay, so, you know, I'm just wondering, maybe there are certain kinds of classifications that seem like they're complaints, but they're actually just a way of reaching out. <laughs> so so, so what, what, what say you of this? This, I guess, like a faux complaining, I think, that you're talking about, where, like, you're, not, you're just using the complaint as an empty way to sympathize with someone else? Is that right? To bond, so is, is that, is that, do you have a feeling on that? Well, I mean, that's great. <laughs> I, you know, listen, any, ca any cause to complain should be embraced and, you know, taken. Like, you know, you don't have to pay to complain. You know, you don't have to do anything to complain. If it's done right, it's, it's actually literally free. And, and in fact, it has paid you. You have bonded with someone. So, you know, your complaint has, has gone out into the world and, and sort of, you know, given you dividends. I, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, so yeah, yeah, you have a you have a whiny new friend. Is, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm gonna go. Oh, oh my! Uh, sure, I'll go to uh, the inventor in the corner. Yes. Um, you were saying that your family are terrible, as opposed to terrible complainers. And I'm just wondering if they're all terrible the same way, or if they are distinct from each other. And no. Yeah. They each they each have their own distinct ways of complaining. <laughs> um, the woman I used in, in my example of the terrible complaint, the, her, her sort of main trait seems to be this idea that no matter what the situation, no matter what the context, um, she is somehow suffering. Um, she is suffering when she is being served dinner by someone else and the recipe is slightly better than hers. <laughs> This is an actual example. That, that's her most famous complaint and is uttered every single time she goes to dinner somewhere else. Um, other members of my is, family? What does she say? Like, how does she phrase that? She phrases it to her. She says something like, oh, this is so, it's so much better than mine. <laughs> I, I could never do it as well as you. I, every time I try, could you give me the recipe? What do you do? <laughs> And it's not like genuine interest in the recipe. It's just like, we're supposed to say, oh, no, no, yours is fine. Yours is, that's, that's the intent. Um, other members of my family, there's this, I don't know, this, another member of my family is convinced that, that um, she's perpetually right. And she knows, she, she just knows. She knows it, she's right. Why the hell can't everybody else see it? Um, and, you know, and again, no sense of context, no, sen no, it, no memory when it comes to this. When she said something and then somebody acts on what she said, um, th she'll then go and say, well, I never said that. What are you doing this to me for? What are you doing this to me for? I didn't want it. My, she, my, mother, my mother was trying to find her an anniversary present and she had commented on the fact that she wanted a fish poacher for her, for her and she wanted, no, she wanted different ways to cook fish. She was tired of frying fish. She was tired of steaming. She wants a different way to cook fish. What? I need somebody. To, how, 
I'm always cooking fish the same way. So my mother thinks it's a fabulous idea to get her a fish poacher. And I, I was privy to this, I, eyewitness from the horse's mouth. Um, we, were, we sat at her kitchen table, and my mother, and the, my, this is my aunt, my aunt opens the gift and she said, a fish poacher? What are you giving me a fish poacher for? What do we need a fish poacher? I don't need a fish poacher. And she turns to her husband, and in front of my mother, in front of my mother, she turns to her husband and goes, don't open it, don't open it, we can still return it. <laughs> So, I mean, her complaints then, um, her complaints are terrible because they're belligerent. You know, it's, it's not, you know, she's being done wrong at every step. So, yeah. I'm trying to run these all through the formula and see how they come out. But, uh, okay, I'm, 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 I'm responsibility, severity, other people worse off. Okay, um, uh, uh, all right, sure, I'll go, yeah, see you. No, it's my father's sister. Excellent question. Um, <laughs> well, oh, it's a two-part question, I see. Well, it's just, it's just, does that make things worse for your mother? Will your mother then get in the car afterwards and go like... My mother has never forgiven her. <laughs> never. <laughs> to this day, every time my mother gets a bad present from this woman, she goes, ugh. Remember that when she gave it, remember when you gave her the fish poacher? <laughs> remember what she did with the fish poacher? And then she gives me this. <laughs> It does seem like a, it does seem like an extra component, possibly, of a bad complaint, is if the person for whom who you ascribe the blame is directly in front of you. Like yeah. if you say, "Oh, oh, woe is me! I received such a terrible gift from you." Like, like it is not a good recipe for eliciting no. sympathy. No, no. Um, was there? Did you have? Yes, you. Do you have any advice for people who are subject to the bad complaint? So, subject advice for people who are subject to the bad complaint. You mean to, to perhaps improve the quality of the complaint that they receive? Or, or, or how do you receive it? How do you deal with so that, that, yeah, what do you do when you encounter a bad, a bad complaint or complainer? Um, well, it's, it's hard because on the one hand, you, you have this sort of, you feel this human need not to completely destroy them. <laughs> I mean, which theoretically you should, you know. If, if, my, if my mother or I were a better person, we, we long ago should have destroyed this ant. We should have called her on it because this is now her modus operandi in conversation. Um, but as, as, as hateful as I am of the principles of etiquette, maybe it has nothing to do with etiquette, maybe it's just sort of wanting to be the better person. You just sort of have to grin and bear it and at the same time, relish the fact that this is going to give you a great story for years to come. <laughs> Which is what, this is, that's, that's sort of what I do. I, you know, there's the, the, one, of the, one of the great complaints is being able to complain about how bad other people's complaints are. It, it's, it's some kind of like postmodern ur you have, you've taken, you've like taken it to another, another yeah, level. Yeah, it, it's meta. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I'll wrap it up before we start blowing people's minds then. Ladies and gentlemen, Trampling Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty and is hosted by me. Uh, this episode's lecture was chosen by Margot Williamson. This podcast is produced by Josh Block. Our theme music was composed by Matt Smith. 
Uh, Trampoline Hall is a podcast, which means you can subscribe to it on all the ways you normally get to podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, if you like the podcast, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, that really helps us out a lot. Also, if you like the podcast and you're in Toronto, you can come see the live show. Uh, go to our website. You can find out when the shows are and sign up for our email list to get announcements. I'm Misha Globerman. Thanks so much for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.